for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, which is brought to you by Goats365.com for people who are living with and loving goats 365 days a year. Today, we are talking to Mark Warnke of PackGoats.com, and we are talking about packing with goats. Now, you know you've heard me say before, and you'll hear me say it again, that you should never just copy someone else's um, feeding protocol and management and stuff. And I really want to emphasize that before we get into today's episode, because pack goats are basically the elite athletes of the goat world. And so the way that they are fed and cared for is very different than the way that you would care for pet goats or even dairy goats or meat goats. So without any further ado, let's talk to Mark about packing with goats. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It's always fun. Yeah. So the first thing I have to ask you, like, you know, and I'm sorry to say that like whenever people talk about like, what can you use goats for? I'm always thinking milk, meat, dairy. I don't think of pack goats. So, so what came first, the goats or the packing? So for me, I, you know, as a, the way I guess it got exposed to goats was my first goat was when I was a little kid, but we knew nothing. We just kind of got it as a, as a pet and we had it for like a year and it climbed all over our cars and couldn't keep it in a pasture. And, and, you know, I was probably 10 and, but I love that goat. Her name was Daisy. She thought she was a dog. She went and irrigated with my dad. And so my experience with goat was really positive. It was, she was like one of my farm buddies. And then, um, later in life, I had to yearn to get my family into the back country along with me. And due to the heavy packs and the work of it all, I had young children and uh, uh, a gal at that time, my, my ex-wife now, but my, my wife who really didn't want to do the work to get into the backcountry either of carrying a heavy pack. And so goats became the solution to that. And then that's you know where we rolled down that road. And I bought my first two goats from just somebody randomly and hoped it would, it would work. And and that's how I got it started. And boy, was it a steep learning curve over the next, you know, very many years. And here I am now. What were some of the first mistakes that you made um, that you also see a lot of other new people making? Um, thinking that any goat can pack. Um, you know, the, the majority of goats that are in, you know, we pack with weathers. Um, and so the majority of people just don't know what their stock can produce in an adult weather because they just they don't they are not kept around um our needs for this are are so specific in terms of attitude and confirmation and drive and and uh size and especially size being the largest contingency we have to have large weathered males that are 200 plus pound goats and most people honestly couldn't tell you whether they produce that or not because they've never seen a weather live that long or 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 be kept around that long um, so, um, that's, that's the number one is that people go on a Craigslist, buy their neighbor's goat, think it's going to work out and they end up with a 140 pound wiener goat that doesn't have any agility and doesn't like to work. So how much weight are we talking about here in terms of how much weight you're going to, they're expected to carry? Um, well, you know, so a goat can carry more weight per body mass than any other stock animal. So they can carry up to 35%. 
Um, I've rarely loaded goats that heavy, but they handle it very well. I try to have my packers carrying under what they need to carry or can carry. Um, and so, you know, my biggest goat in the pasture right now is 250 ish pounds and I can easily put 70 to 80 pounds on him and he can, you know, carry it for, you know, I mean, the longest day I've ever done in the backcountry is over 18 miles. Um, it was 13 hours of packing. We did 9,000 feet in game. Wow. That is really impressive. And the photos on your website are just incredible. Like not only are the goats stunning, but where you're, you're going with them is, is stunning too. The photos are just phenomenal. Yeah, we're super, we're super lucky. I mean, I live in Idaho, 76% of our state is public land. So if you can't, if you can't walk a trail, then you aren't going to see like half of our state. I mean, literally. Wow. Um, tons of our trails. It's only like 15% of the, na the national forest trails now are maintained. And um, so as a result of that, you know, stock, normal stock, horses and mules can't get in there. Backpackers, you know, only go so far. So if you want to go in deep, you know, really, literally the only stock animal that can get into the country that's accessible here is, is a goat. Right. So one of the things too that's really stunning about the photos are the horns on your goats. Mm. Like you said, I have never seen horns like that. And I know it's because I've never seen weathers with horns who've lived that long. Um, right. So I suspect that the horns have something to do, leaving the horns on has something to do with the fact that these are going to be working goats. Is that true? Um, yeah, you know, I try to really remain non-judgmental about the choice to leave horns on or not, because it is really a personal choice. The goat pays a bit of a price when they're little, as we all know. It's not like dehorning is not a, you know, a painful process, but so is lots of things that you have to do for them to help them live their most effective life alongside you. Um, I choose to leave horns on goats because to me, they look unnatural without them. And a goat is a beautiful, beautiful, amazing animal that when you're used to being around goats with horns, when you run into them hornless, they look weird. Um, now, socially acceptable, people all the time ask me the most ridiculous question when I'm walking on trails around town or, you know, when I come across people, one of the number one questions to the starry eyed newcomer is, is that a goat? Which seems like such a ridiculous question to me. Um, but most people just aren't, they, they literally don't know whether females have horns, whether, you know, is that a goat because he has horns? I mean, we've, we've basically conditioned the American public to believe a large portion of society to believe that goats don't have horns. Um, and, you know, there's debatable input on whether they, you know, they're, um, they, they, you know, get rid of, of heat through their horns, whether it's kind of a natural radiator. I personally have um, low amounts of faith in how much heat dispersal actually happens through their horns, but I have a high amount of faith in the fact that goats use their horns as a, as a fifth appendage. Um, they very much so do. They, they scratch themselves with it. They move things with it. Um, there's actually a video where we're navigating a super difficult, very, very steep rockfall. And you'll see that several of the goats, as they stumble, they actually stick their horn in the ground to hold them in position. Um, so they're, they're very aware of that as another appendage. And, you know, when they're dehorned, they don't get a chance to use it. Um, 
Um, and I understand why people dehorn, but the reason some of those horns are, have such big horns is that I'll have a tendency to let my new bucklings, my new packer prospects that are coming in to then be that year's breeders. So I'll breed them, I'll let them breed my does, and then I'll castrate them at usually anywhere from six to eight months. And they get enough chance to get enough testosterone to grow some pretty big horns. And if you actually really look in detail at my goat's horns, you can see on their horns when they were castrated because they always have a very distinct bump at that time. It's pretty interesting. Oh, that is fascinating. I know we used to have um, Shetland sheep and the males grow horns. And um, I learned, unfortunately, that when you castrate them, it stops the horn growth. It sort of slows it down to a crawl. Mm -hmm. um, and so like you don't really want to do it too early because we d I did it really early with a couple of uh, lambs once and their um, horns stayed like about two inches long for so many months that they got caught in the fence more than any sheep I have ever had. Oh, what a pain. Yeah. So I never did that again because if I castrated them at two months, the horns were already so big, they could not get their head through the fence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. So that's interesting that you um, don't have a lot of faith in the explanation that they need their horns for heat radiation because that's what I've heard a lot of Angora goat breeders say. Yeah, well, you know, the reality is, is has somebody literally, you know, I mean, again, you got to remember how much of what we have, especially in goats, I would probably call it one of the most understudied animals on the planet. Oh, yeah. You got 10 goat experts together and you ask them how to worm for the barber pole worm, you would get nine different answers and you'd get three different fist fights because people were so adamant that they were right. Um, so when you go clear to the nuance of saying that literally a researcher at a university has put a goat on a treadmill and then measured his body temperature with horns and without horns, and they actually, because again, every goat's different, their fat content is different, their hair content is different. For people to actually say they have the information that proves that that's an effective heat dispersal under duress, I just, I call BS. I just don't think the research is there. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I hadn't actually thought of that before. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, I don't think anybody has ever actually tested that. Yeah. So in my experience, it, you, you know, when you grab a goat's horns, when you hold a goat's horns, it is noticeably warm. It does radiate heat. It is blood filled. All you got to do is see a goat break their horn and you realize how much blood's in there. I mean, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, at the oh, same yeah. time, that wouldn't lend itself very well to that theory if you have a ho uh, goat with black horns and his horns are absorbing heat and they have as much a tendency to be dark as they do light. So, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people try to, as they do with all things, when they have an agenda, they're going to stack up their argument for the reasons why their argument makes sense. And I think there's a pro-horned goat people out there and they're going to use stuff like that to to help to validate their point. I, I still think dehorning a goat is unnecessary and fairly barbaric, but it is what it is. Um, I understand that people are concerned about udders and there's a, such a thing as a factory farming and 
and I celebrate their ability to take care of that goat over time and, and not have the, you know, side damage that is potentially created by that. Now I'm running mostly weathers, but I run milking does with them and I still have yet to ever have an injury, but I know it's on my frontier. I, I know somebody's going to hurt somebody, but I think they hurt each other without horns too. So that's interesting. I was going to ask you about does because you had said earlier that you really just use the weathers for packing. Um, so if you use, is there a difference in using does? Like, can they carry the same amount of weight or per, why per do you body mass? Yeah, they're, they're, they're effective, but they're, they're short, they're squat. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not conformed super well as a packer, but the ladies are a beautiful component because when you have a, when you have a goat, re-experiencing his mountainside or her mountainside you know these guys are matriarchal and so it is my does that remind the weathers that hey guys we got to go eat we're working here um and it is their milk production that keeps them on the forage where my weathers will lay around and get skinny during packing season if i don't have a doe with them to remind them to go eat instead of hanging out in camp um kind of funny to see that dynamic but having having a really strong, good herd queen that, that packs well alongside you um, is something I love. Plus there's nothing better than fresh backcountry milk. Um, you know, how cool is it to have an animal gathering my protein and my fat for me while I'm out there and I can get it on a daily basis. I mean, it literally is a part of my calorie count. I, I'm, I'm actually considering doing a trip this year, um, 100 miles in the backcountry, which will take me 10 miles a day, um, for 10 days, which is a lot with the elevation gains and losses. And I want to find out how many packing does I have to have with me to supply me enough nutrition um, during that duration to survive only off of goat's milk. Um, and so, um, you know, I just think that kind of stuff is cool. I think goats are an anointed animal that God put on this planet for us. Um, they have something extra special about them like other animals that he's put on the planet. Um, but they are a key critter that, in my opinion, we're the last country in the world that still has yet for, to figure that out. Everybody else knows how great goats are. We're just starting to find out, it seems. Um, to answer your question, I don't like to pack does. Um, I get to see the measure of energy expended and the less uh, high-powered diet show up in their milk production. Um, and my does will decrease in their production in the backcountry by about 30 to 40 percent, um, just based on food and effort. So I don't really want them working for me, packing the minor loads that they can. I want them making milk and, you know, being a good herd queen. So I, I pack with them, but, you know, it's really the other thing is they have to wear a britching. And that whole britching next to the vagina thing and the pee thing and that kind of stuff's kind of a pain. And I got plenty of big packers, so I just leave the does empty. Okay. How often do you take your goats out for packing? Um, usually I do about 500 trail miles a year. Um, and I'm gone home usually an average of three days out of seven, all from basically June to mid-October. Wow. That's a lot of steps. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm blessed. I just have really, you know, I'm not a rich guy or anything. I just have always prioritized time in the woods and, 
and uh, I've always been able to figure out business enough to where the wheels stay on the bus while I'm not doing my thing. Mm-hmm. So you do guided tours with people and goats? I, I do. I do. You know, a lot of people that, you know, one of the fastest ways to learn is through mentorship. And so I'll have people that want to come on pack trips and experience that to entertain whether they want to get into goats or not. And then I also just am followed pretty large, you know, online globally. And so I have global clientele that just comes in to go on backpacking trips with me because we see amazing places and we eat steak and eggs in the backcountry. We don't have to quote unquote rough it. You still got to walk. You still got to be able to cover country. Um, but once we get there, we got chairs and real tents and we're comfortable and, and we're eating really good food. And I cook this amazing backcountry food. It's a saying in our family that there's no spice like elevation. And, and uh, I tell people that haven't been back there before, you won't believe how good food tastes. And especially if it's good, um, you're going to have probably some of the most amazing meals that you've ever had while you're on a pack trip with me. It's really magnificent. Wow. So about how many miles a day do you cover on a typical trip? Uh, for mine or with clients? With clients. Um, well, that's, that's varied, you know. So in Idaho, it's very, very sticky how you operate here. So I can't just go take people out. I have to be a guide up for an outfitter in his operating area. And the operating areas um, are difficult to get into. It's relationship-based. Um, some people, you know, like the idea of having me run trips there. Others don't. You know, it's kind of a, it's an interesting mix here in the outfitting community. And I know all good folks. It's just they own the right to do all the operations within that area and without working with them and, and abiding by their standards or their rules or their uh, how, they, how they run their business, I can't go there. So I have three different areas that I take people with outfitters that are super stoked to have me and my clients in there and, 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 and work with them. One is we pack into three miles of fairly flat trail into a remote hot springs and we camp. Um, it's a, it's a lower land spot. So it's my early season and late season, you know, area that I can take people where I don't have to worry about snow loads. Um, and then when we go into the high country, I have two different areas. One that's more geared towards small families. That's only about a two and a half mile hike in and a couple of lakes and some really beautiful stuff and seeing mountain goats and amazing country, but it's just not a hard hike in and you roll in and you camp and you stay. Um, that one's more for small kids and families and people who don't want to work super hard. And then I have another one um, that's in the Frank Church that is literally mind blowing. We're going into a basin that rarely sees people. Um, you know, you're seeing elk and deer that haven't seen human beings before. There's wolves and cougars, and it's the real deal. I mean, we're way back in and we're seeing stuff that people don't see. We're fishing for fish that people don't fish for. And I mean, it's just that, it's that beautiful, amazing stuff that only exists in very few rare places left in the world. And, you know, that's my backyard. So, so in that trip, we're going to do six or seven miles on day one to get into the first lake. And, and then sky's the limit. We can do a 30 to 40 mile loop, which is common for me in a four day trip because you just get to see such, such amazing country, five or six miles a day kind of stuff. Wow, that sounds really neat. So mm -hmm. if somebody wanted to do their own, um, have their own pack goats, you already said that like just getting them off Craigslist or from your neighbor is not a great idea. Um, but should they really, I mean, do they need to raise them from 
a kid with the idea that they are going to, that they are being trained to be a pack goat from the beginning or if they already have some goats is you know that have a relationship with them would they be able to train them uh, su super great question so if if they have somebody that you know i mean any goat can do what he can do right and it, the, the the main component is a bonded goat so bottle fed babies are key um, Bottle-fed babies, when they are out of their natural environment, you put them in a truck, you roll them out to a trailhead, and you start walking, they are going to be on you like glue, right? They are looking to you to lead them through this new curious world that they don't know what to do. Right. So therein lies the pack of goat beauty, is that you don't have to lead them and they stick to you like glue. A scared goat runs to you, not away. Stuff like that. Um, okay. In terms of getting them to put a saddle on, they're very amicable. Um, it's a fairly easy process. Um, people misunderstand the value of really good pack saddles. I often liken it to the fact that um, if I were to say to you, hey, let's go on our first hike and let me have you wear a pair of shoes that are one size too, too small and let's see how it feels at the end of that. Um, now you know what it is to put a cheap, well thought, you know, poorly thought out saddle on the back of your, you know, your loving companion that's trying to work for you and you put him in a pair of shoes that were a size too small. Um, goats are very organically um, shaped. They're wide in the back, wide in the front, shaped like a 55 gallon drum or shaped like an A-frame. And if you don't have a saddle that fits them, which I make the only fully adjustable saddle for goats, in, you know, out there, um, and it ain't cheap to make it. I wish it was, but it isn't. And uh, now you're putting on, it's either that or you're putting a soft saddle that conforms to their back through being non-rigid, but then you need a decent amount of cinch pressure to keep that saddle in position. And then again, it's less comfortable. So it'd be like me putting a, you know, a backpack on your back and then cinching the chest strap down really tight so it doesn't move. You have difficulty breathing. It's not as comfortable. You're not going to be able to work as hard or as long. It's just stuff like that. So it's, you know, <coughs> it's one of those things where you can kind of do it in your leisure and it works. Um, and if you want to do it really well, you, you need to be kind of be willing to step up to it. As far as training, um, they're such an amicable critter and so much of the process is just having them follow you that really you just need to get to get them used to something on their back, which if I take nine out of 10 goats at, at five years old that have never been on a trail and I just gently and handling them, put a saddle on them, give them a few minutes to walk around and get used to this thing that's on my back. What is that? He's going to follow me down the trail and we're not even going to have the slightest issue. They, they, they just don't have the blow up button or the freak out button of horses. And I've, I've packed every kind of stock, horses, mules, mamas, and goats. And goats are 10 billion times easier than all of those. Wow, that's interesting. Can you um, expand on that a little bit more about the comparison between the goats and the other animals that you've worked with? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it, here's my main concern about horses. They hurt people often, right? Yeah, and they're big. They, what's that? They're big. They are. And when I'm in the backcountry, I'm in a very vulnerable spot in terms of being able to self-rescue. Right? When I'm miles back in, I am hours from a solution, minimum. And you know, I've seen so many people be hurt by horses and mules, I can't even tell you. And these are good stock, experienced people, people that know what they do. 
Anybody who's really good at what they do will tell you, you cannot sit in that saddle on that horse in a trusting stance the whole time. You need to be ready for something to happen. And you do. Um, I, and I don't got anything against horses. They're just dangerous. Um, and, and they're expensive and they take high levels of equipment and everything else. So personally, I don't want to deal with the expense, the danger or the hassle of owning a horse and trying to pack it into the backcountry. Llamas are just a weird animal. They just <laughs> are. They, um, they'll let you touch them if they feel like it that day. They're definitely not your buddy. Their lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, they have a blow up button where they will literally kill themselves in front of you because they're freaking out. Um, and you got to drag them around and they refuse, right? I mean, you, you have to tow them along and I don't want to have to hold onto an animal the whole time I'm walking because he might walk away and doesn't give crap about me, right? That's just not a good packing command companion. There's benefits to both of those species though in mostly the amount that they can pack. They can pack large loads. Um, a big llama can pack almost as twice as much as a big goat. Um, that, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you're going to get load quality with that. And you're also going to get longevity. The fact that goats are a short lived species that can't take loads, full loads till they're four and they start slowing down at 10 or 11. Although we're starting to disprove some of that because again, nobody's taken exceptional care physically, nutritionally teeth and everything else like we are in the pack of community, I think we're gonna see some of the longest lived, most effective goats on the planet are gonna come out of the pack of community because we're floating teeth, we're nutritionally keeping them as good as they can be, and we're keeping them highly conditioned. I mean, if you have a bunch of fat dudes sitting around in the chairs, you're certainly not gonna get a measure of longevity and humanity, and that's what we're trying to get as a measure of longevity out of goats. You know, it's just exercise is a component to health, and we're the only community regularly doing that. Um, so as far as the negatives, and I'm sorry I rabble-holed that, but as far as the negatives on goats, it's it's mostly their, their lifespan, their packer lifespan, is short and so you constantly need new ones coming up you need old ones going out and you need to find out effective ways um you know to be able to dispatch your buddy i mean these are your working buddies they're your they're your friends they work their guts out for you they are you know loyal they're loving and when they're 10 years old and they can't pack anymore now what do you do you know you just so so there's that component um the negative uh, as well with goats is, is again, they're limited in the amount of size that they can carry. Um, so you need more goats. Um, and, and really, those are kind of the predominant negatives in comparison. Horses and llamas can't get into the same country at all. The goats can because I can scale cliffs with my goats with packs. So that's kind of some comparisons that way. Um, I also would say that Horses and mules have the capability to go deeper. They have a better endurance only because their average walking rate is like 3.7 miles an hour, where it goes down at like two and a half. With if he's in shape and he's he's going at it, that's what he walks. So he he can cover 30% less distance than a horse or a llama. Okay, that is awesome information. You touched on this just a little bit, and I want to circle back to it. And that is, you were talking about the care that these goats need and how it's different from other goats, um, like dairy and meat and stuff. So what do you do um, that's different for your pack goats? 
Um, well, I, it, it's not so much that I'm, I, I'm just looking for different outcomes, right? So I'm looking for an animal that I'm trying to keep weight on and muscular build while he's working. So I'm pouring the feed to him during packing season. And he's also having to learn how to naturally forage a ton of that. So he's, he's literally learning how to take care of his own needs based on a, really like a mule deer diet, a natural goat diet is what he ends up getting. Um, but despite that, I mean, he and I can't eat enough food to overcome the energy expense that, that, that we pay during season. So, you know, I, when I get home, I pour the feed to him. Um, and I'm feeding things like, you know, straight alfalfa during pack season to make sure that they just keep enough weight on. I'm feeding things like, you know, black sunflower seeds that are a fat source to, to help them to, to keep that weight on. And then in the off season, 50-50 grass hay mix. And during the off season, during the winter, um, there's lots of me that, you know, I'm, I'm balancing in my herd between... You know, I'm, I'm pouring the feed to my baby. So, you know, zero to one year old, they're getting free choice carrying, they're getting free choice alfalfa, and I'm trying to grow them as big as I can get them from zero to one. Now, when I start impacting urinary calculi issues starting at one year old, I now put them on 50-50 grass hay mix, but also free choice. But they're living in the same pasture um, with my packers that are above four years old have now quit growing and love to keep their head stuck in the feeder and get fat during the off season. And it takes a couple of months to get a go back in condition if it gets super fat. And so I'm limiting their feed and I'm giving the adolescents and the babies free choice. And so the way that I have figured out my feeding system is to have pass through windows that only a certain size goat can get through and they have access to their own independent bedding and their own independent feed that's size appropriate and age appropriate. And I'm, I'm basically feeding four different animals. I'm feeding my does differently than I'm feeding my adolescents, than I'm feeding my babies, that I'm feeding my adults. And my adults, long range plan is to keep them on the edge of thin. I always want to fill their ribs. Um, and um, I have exomorphic goats and endomorphic goats, and I'm really looking for a goat that would be better likened to a Spartan athlete because that's an endurance athlete that's strong. I'm not looking for linemen that are big, oafy, short meat goats because they're carrying too much body mass and it's inefficient. I'm looking for tall, leggy, short-bodied, you know, non-depth, with enough width to carry a saddle well, and I want them kind of thin. I want I want to see a little hip. I want to see a little rib. And you know, again, I think that's a rare goat that gets raised. Usually, the thinner goats that get raised are are the goats that aren't well taken care of and don't have good mineral in that pasture you pass by, and everybody's got fishtail and their coats look singed. You know, and that's that's kind of the you know, what we're seeing in that. And then as you know, this whole weather, you know, nutritional needs is the, the one that the vet community still never gets any training on because there is no such thing as an adult male weather that lives longer than one year old in agriculture. Right. Yeah. So did you say that, um, you, that the kids, um, in, get free choice grain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not something that we hear. I mean, like there are people who, you know, their kids can wind up with all kinds of, um, rumen issues if they get too much grain. Um, yeah. 
No, How do you avoid we that? Feed, we feed free choice. We, we feed a mixture of calf manna and grower goat, um, you know, so it's a pellet. Um, if we want to try to use, I, I have my own pellet mixed up um, that I feed mine, but it's, it's very similar to, we do a 50-50 calf manna um, grower goat mix, and um, that's free choice from their whole first year along with, you know, alfalfa, um, you know, straight up alfalfa or 50-50 grass tank mix. And we've been raising goats like that for, you know, 15 years in the pack interesting do you have um free choice baking soda available um i i used to but i get so leery of the urinary calculi issues i i never personally have had any of it on my property i've never had it with any of my goats um but the free choice baking soda always just makes me leery and i've never had an issue of bloat you know or anything that i saw that be a preventative towards um, so I don't, um, it just makes me leery to it. And, and at the same time, I will tell you if there is any chink in my armor, it is my depth and breadth of health and wellness and nutrition that, you know, I've been a, a goat owner now for pushing seven years. And I honestly think it takes 20 to truly say you're an authority. With the year, I was thinking about urinary calculi earlier, and I'm thinking that maybe the reason you haven't seen a problem with that is because your goats are so huge. Um, because that's really the issue and that you wait so long to castrate. Um, well, and I don't, I, I don't do that as a rule. A lot of my goats are banded at 30 days. If, if I have the choice, because when you're trying to raise an animal to be handleable, to let them go to sexual maturity and let them get bucky, um, makes them two things. Number one is an animal you don't want to touch, which having your hands on your goats is a critical part to a good pack goat. And also I see them very often turn in a way that's not positive in getting kind of, you know, horny at that point. When I say horny, I mean using their horns as a communication tool. Uh -huh. um, and um, that is, you know, I mean, again, our goats are all horned, they're all huge. They're around children. They cannot have even the slightest bit of aggression towards a human being. And you risk that the later you let them go towards, you know, sexual maturity, in my opinion and experience. So when you are, because um, I know you sell pack goats. Um, mm -hmm. And so does that mean that um, you sell goats that have the potential to be pack goats? Or how far along do you get them started? And at what age do you sell them? Yeah, really, really good question. And it's important that you realize before I answer this question, I don't want to be, nor is it profitable to be in the goat selling business. Right. I just I'll agree with that. <laughs> Sorry. I totally agree with that. Yes. Yeah. I just feel dutiful to the pack goat industry to help to be a part of making sure that people get started right. Okay. And there is so much deception um, about what people are looking for and, and, and people who don't know as in the consumer. And then secondarily, there's so many people that just want to get rid of their bucklings because they can't find a place for it and will say whatever it takes to get that buckling to go away for a decent price than they can sell on meat that there's a lot of, and not, when I use the word deception, that's really, that's really wrong. It's just naivety. And, and, and I see so many people four years down the road, scratching their head, looking at their 140 pound wiener goat. that's never going to be a good packer. And they've invested four years of time, nutrition and everything else. So my involvement 
And I don't get any of the credit or accolades um, for what we have today genetically in the community. That all goes to Dwight Sharp. Dwight Sharp is this really great little guy out of Kansas. Um, he came from the um, NASCAR industry of all things. He's a brilliant man. Um, and his pet project, his side passion, was he was one of the early, early adopters of running pack goats. I mean, he's one of the first guys that did it, clear out in the middle of Kansas, and he made it his mission to build the perfect packer. He's right next to Kansas State University. He had access to sperm tanks. Um, he was super connected in the goat and, and stock community, and he sort of mixed a lot and found some of the most amazing goats and basically has been breeding for the perfect pack goat for, for almost 20 years. When I moved in, I changed how people looked at pack goats. When he first looked at pack goats, I believe he was really looking for size. It was just really difficult. How do you get a goat big, right? And he did. He successfully has a breed out there that he's pushed a ton of, which is he's bred with some of the tallest saunins out there. He's mixed them with a really tall bower, and he got a literally, I have a goat out there in the pasture right now that's one of his sabers. That's what he calls it, a saber. And that saber is now, he was he's a year and three quarters old. So he's this spring, he's going to turn two. And he's 230 pounds as a two-year-old, right? So that goat's going to finish 41, 42 inches at the weathers and be over 300 pounds if he's fit. I mean, he's a monster. It, wow. I actually tracked his growth rate. He grew faster than a pig, okay? <laughs> so so he, was, he was almost, he was 180 pounds as a one-year-old. Wow. Yeah. He's going to be bigger than a boar, like a purebred boar. Correct. And he's, instead of being... 32 inches tall he's 41 or 42 inches tall I mean, so he's 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 massive i mean he's huge and that's the thing you see my goats in pictures if you stepped in my pasture the first thing you say is oh my god they're way bigger than i thought they were that's what everybody says the pictures don't do them justice they're huge merciless's horns catch me at about the temple and i'm six feet tall holy so he, cow yeah he's he's huge you know, so, and, and he's not my biggest goat. He's just, he just has those giant horns and he's really cool and all that stuff. So back to the breeding, Dwight Sharp gets all the accolades. He's an amazing man that spent a lifetime doing it with no financial return. And then the story of him is that last year he was on a head, in a head-on collision. He almost died. He's lucky to be alive. He can walk a few steps. He's been in the process of recovery. His body was ravished by that, that wreck, and he and his aging wife could no longer take care of that goat herd. So I rallied through my connections in the, in the, the goat world a, to broker all those does, which was 85, to be brought out to the West and dispersed across the West with people within the pack goat community. And we now have recovered the genetics and we're keeping high-end breeding within the pack goat industry. And I'm kind of the central conduit for that at packgoats.com. So I only have four breeding does, but literally every goat that I would turn people onto that they would get 
has a relative in my personal strain. So there are genetics I can vouch for. I know what the temperaments are. I know what their sizing is, what their confirmation is, because I literally have their uncle, brother, grandpa, or cousin in my string personally, and I've, I've dealt with them for years. So at what point do you sell kids? Like at what age? And do you do any training before you sell them? Good, good question. I, I don't. Um, I, they just need love. You know, they really, it's all about bonding in the beginning. Um, having them be very familiar with water is a really nice thing. Having a baby pool that you put them in and having them accept, you know, I mean, again, if I'm special in one way, it's that I understand how to communicate with a goat probably unlike almost anybody else out there. And I don't think I'm original in that in the pack goat community, but I'm the most public figure that's done that. I feel like I've been training animals my whole life in preparation to be the guy that figured out how to crack the nut of how to train a goat. And there's this really gentle, loving way um, that's so different from a dog and different from a horse and different from other animals. Um, and I don't use treats. Um, treats, in my opinion, are a risky way to reward a pack goat. Um, I use them through pressure and praise. Um, and, you know, teaching a baby um, to stand in a puddle of water when he's little and, and, and me being there with him, he assumes he's me. He assumes I'm him. We're together. And, wow, that, that big guy who's just like me stands in water, it must be normal for me to stand in water. So little things like that when they're babies. But honestly, the majority of baby training that gets done is just manners, teaching them to stay down, telling them back and having them respond, having them fear the squirt bottle is a, a long arm of the law. You know, simple, simple commands that are just more manners and get along with human beings because these guys need to be trained almost like a puppy. Okay. Well, I cannot believe that like 40 minutes has just flown by. Um, but of course we're talking goats. So sure. yeah. I always say I could talk about goats all day long and that's kind of what happens. I um, agree. Yeah, I feel like a goat nerd. I mean, you know, when we're in the backcountry, it ends up being <laughs> topic of discussion is goats. I'm like, really, don't we have anything else to talk about? But uh -huh. if you want to see one of the most interesting things ever, that's really, really fun that I can do meditatively for hours is go amongst my herd when they're free grazing in the mountains. It is so amazing to see a goat naturally forage. Um, on a varied diet and to see how he selects what he eats, what part of the plant he eats, what he rejects, what he accepts, how much he takes of something he likes. It, they are one of the most intuitive eating animals on planet Earth. It is magical to watch them eat. And it's fun to watch them tear off a blade of grass, strip a twig of all its leaves, and then pick individuals off of another and then eat the barbs of a thorn right in front of you that you're like, oh my God, how did that just go in your mouth, right? It right. Amazing, they're an amazingly highly intelligent consumer of plants and vegetables. They're, they're magical. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I know I get a lot of questions from new people about um, poisonous plants and stuff. And mm -hmm. there really is not a good list out there. I actually spent an afternoon with a toxicologist from a veterinary school in the University of Illinois poison plant garden, which sounds like something should be at Hogwarts. Um, and we're going through there and he's telling me about all these plants that are poisonous to horses and cats and dogs and, you know, and 
And it was interesting. Like I actually had a lot more information about goats than he did. Um, and that was when I learned that there really is not, like you said, there's so little research about goats. There really is not any solid research on what is poisonous to goats. Mm -hmm. Um, like I was all excited. I thought I'm finally going to get all my poison plant questions answered. Um, because I could see a lot of people saying, oh, but aren't you going to be worried that they'll eat something poisonous if you take them out into the middle of the woods where they can eat anything? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that has never happened in your case in all the years of packing. It hasn't. No. And I'm amongst toxic and poisonous plants for them regularly. And, and, and here's my, here's my, um, now do I, I think it could possibly happen. It has, and I've had goats vomit yeah. um, and I'm sure they got something but nobody, nobody went down. Nobody, nobody has ever had anything other than a gut ache. And I think that is a goat's natural inclination is to eat a little bit of a lot of things. Yeah. And they were really fast, just like we did. That first thing that we ate that we puked our guts out on, we could never taste again. And right. I think they learned through that mechanism. Um, just the hope is, is they don't run into something so toxic time number one, like rhododendron, Pair, you know, pitted fruits, those sorts of things. Um, those are the ones that make me wary in my area. Um, but, you know, I've seen goats devour stinging metal and not have anything. I've seen them eat lupin, you know, regularly, and it's on the toxic list. Um, I think there's also a conditioning to different things. Um, and I think that, again, I think there are some general assumptions that get made about goats. But if you were to actually ask whether a biologist actually fed that to a goat and then measured his physical response to it, my guess is the answer would be, I don't think you can find the study. I think you can find it on major stuff, but I yeah. think there's lots of, well, this is poisonous for this category, so it must be for goats too. I mean, that's how goats get lumped into tons of the studies. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially cows. So many people think they're just little cows and mm -hmm. they're not. Well, it has been wonderful chatting with you today. Is there anything else that you wanted to share about pack goats before we go? Um, just that I would encourage people to, you know, I mean, I, I'm not like on a mission to help people get into pack goats. That's not my thing at all. It's just another form of really amazing interaction with the goat. I mean, we're preaching to the choir and it's most likely goat people that are listening to this. And so I don't have to impress upon you the amazingness of the animal that the goat itself is. Right. But there is something that's next level. And I would liken it to people who milk. When you milk, and especially when you're only milking one or two or three, there's a Zen moment that happens where they depend on you and you depend on them. And it becomes this really beautiful teammate ship where you're done and she licks your face and, and you know, you thank her. And it's just this, this, this really beautiful energetic exchange of resources. Right. And, and it's really similar in the backcountry, but to the whole next level, because now they're actually working for you. They're carrying your stuff in. They're depending on you for their protection. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a loyalty and a surrenderance that's really beautiful that happens in that relationship. I mean, the goats would sleep in the tent with you if you let them, um, oh. and, you know, I mean, it, and, and it's neat. It's just really a neat thing. My goats learn how to warm themselves next to the fire. They learn how to go out and feed and, you know, they can be 
three, 400 yards from camp and I yell goats and I can hear the bells jingling through the woods as they're all running towards me together as a pack and because they don't want their dad to leave them. You know, I mean, it's just, they, there's this amazing, amazing, super cool thing that happens in, when you work with them back there and they take on a new presence when they're on unfamiliar ground. That's a unique thing to most people. Most people will say, yeah, my goat follows me everywhere around your farm. Wait, wait till you get onto a trail in the backcountry. I would suggest people literally take their goats for a walk like they do their dogs. They're an amazing companion. That said, the learning curve and the gear and the information, the neat part is all of it is on patcoats.com. I have courses that people can take, but people that are resourceful, the problem is there's so much information on my site that you're going to end up spending a lot of time sifting. Um, but over the next year and the courses that we're developing will help people literally go through a step-by-step -step tutorial on everything they need to know about goats in general as it relates to pack goats. Um, so we're kind of doing... We got the gear, we got the help, we got the genetics, you know, we're trying to kind of basically help people from cradle to grave. And if I don't die an old broke guy, I'll be super happy. <laughs> well, that is a wonderful note to end on. Not you dying as a, not an old broke guy, but all the beautiful stuff you were saying earlier about the relationship with goats and what special animals they are and everything. And I know they definitely love to sleep with people um, because when my daughter was a teenager, she thought that she always had to have a baby goat in her bed with her. Um, so, and just the idea of having one in a tent with you when you're out packing sounds like so much fun. That sounds so wonderful. Yeah. I, I, let me, let me put the caveat in there that I don't want the poop and pee in my tent. So I don't right. think they would if I let them, right? So. Oh yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, well, um, yeah, so if I can be helpful and all that stuff, I'm still pretty available. You know, I, I have to admit I'm being fairly overwhelmed in time uh, and really trying to balance that stuff. And I have a couple of folks at work for me and they help to field some of the emails and, and that stuff. And we have the fun part is that, you know, because of my connections to Hollywood through my other business, um, you know, we're really putting goats out in front in the media as well. They'll be in a documentary. Um, that'll be in the Sundance Film Festival next year. Um, they're doing a reality TV show right now on me and my operation. And my whole mission is literally to help people to understand that goats are the most ignored and highest deserved pet on planet Earth. And it is so ludicrous. I mean, it is absolutely ludicrous that every municipality in the country will allow a barking, stinky poop predator in their backyard, but they will not allow two dairy goats. And I want to change that. Yeah, I know. That is pretty fascinating. Well, it has been wonderful chatting with you today. The time has mm. just flown by. Um, it's been so much fun for me to get a peek into this whole different world um, where goats live and do a magnificent job, of course, because they're just amazing animals. Um, so thank you very, very much for joining us today. My pleasure. And of course, people can visit your website at patgoats.com to learn more. Thank yes. you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by my online goat membership program, goats365.com, which is for people who are living with and loving goats 365 days a year. 
I hope you'll join us next week when we are talking about getting ready for kidding season. And remember to hit the subscribe button if you want to make sure that you don't miss any episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.